It's Ari Rosenbaum with a, uh, another fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast. This week we're going to talk about plan provider gimmicks um, that are out there. Time for plan provider gimmicks. Uh, again, it's one of those episodes where uh, uh, I go a little uh, highly critical of some of the nonsense I see in the marketplace. Uh, of course, uh, that has to go along with my gimmick as being the turd in the punch bowl. But of course, first things first, let's talk about the events that are coming up. Uh, a lot of great live events. July 28th, we're going to have a networking event, Mets game uh, against the Atlanta Braves. Uh, that's going to be on Wednesday, July 28th. 150 bucks gets you a game ticket and food. Then we got September events. That 401k conference returns live and in person. St. Louis on September the 10th. Minneapolis, September 24th. Min- uh, Houston. Planet Houston on Wednesday, a special Wednesday episode on September 29th. Go to that 4 For those events, 100 bucks gets you in, food, content, uh, player, uh, meet and greets, uh, stadium tour, all that kind of jazz, and we'll have a, a couple of tickets for the game that night. Um, and, you know, we, we hope you can attend. It's... Uh, it's been a goal since way back in March when I was uh, leaving Orlando from that 401k conference, from that 401k national conference, that somehow we would return live. We had three events that uh, were booked already solid. We had to reschedule them, and thankfully, um, we've been able to peg them all in in September. Um, and within the next month or so, I should hope to have some sort of date for Las Vegas in December, and that will set up 2021. 2022, I don't know how many events we'll do, but we certainly will. There's quite a few cities I have in mind that I'd like to go to. Probably, you know, might do six events in 2022 as we get uh, life back up to normal. Um, Speaking about normal, the retirement plan business, I guess it's not normal, but the retirement plan business, you know, I'm a big professional wrestling fan, and uh, professional wrestling, uh, so much of a part of the characters were, you know, gimmicks. Um, I remember the late 1990s, or mid-1990s, actually, uh, the WWF was heavily gimmicked, where you'd have, uh, it was the... Uh, Occupation gimmicks. You'd have an accountant by the name of Erwin R. Scheister. You would have a garbage man. You'd have a, a former hockey player called the Goon. You'd have a plumber called T.L. Hopper. Um, you'd have some pig and uh, hog farmers, and uh, uh, their uh, acro- you know their names had the initials of hog and pig. Hank Hank uh, Godwin and Phineas Godwin and whatever it was and. But, you know, retirement plan providers have their own gimmicks, and their gimmicks are all based on marketing. Um, And, you know, it's a marketing and sales gimmick, and I think the plan sponsors really need to identify what's real and what's kind of fluff that's kind of nonsensical. Uh, And, you know, listen, this is not me criticizing... um, what people do, you know, um, I understand plant providers have to eat, so do bounty hunters. And, you know, I get it, but my kind of job 
as an ERISA attorney, is kind of being frank and honest. Uh, I get. I mean, that's how I see it. I, I, I know a lot of uh, other ERISA attorneys represent these plan providers that practice these gimmicks. Uh, it's not my judgment. It's just you know I I like to be frank and honest with people. And speaking about gimmicks, one of the biggest gimmicks out there, I don't think there's any bigger marketing gimmick out there in the retirement plan space than when a retirement plan provider offers a free service for a certain period of time. Um, I remember years ago when I first moved out to Long Island, when I first started working, I want to say, um, you know, I'd, I'd get a advertisement for a, a, a gym offering a free month. And unfortunately, I, I partook in that offer. You go to the gym, and all it is is a sales pitch. It's not about that free month. It's all about I need you to sign up. Um, you know, it, it was uh, the free workout was like ten minutes, uh, but really everything else was like a marketing push. And if you recall, uh, one of the best companies out there. Uh, over the last 20 some odd years is Netflix and I you know people I think if you tell t tell my daughter uh, who's a big Netflix fan and she's 14 if you told her that Netflix had started out by offering free rentals as part of a, a DVD player purchase uh, she'd have a tough time understanding that but that's how Netflix built a business. Netflix built a business by offering uh, a free try-on membership for their DVDs, uh, DVD rentals by mail. Um, you know, in the retirement plan space, uh, there'll be a lot of plan providers, really TPAs especially, that will offer a certain period of time free service for part of their contract. You know, a free gym membership for a month, Free DVD rentals, that's one thing. As a retirement plan fiduciary, you know, plan sponsors really can't fall for that kind of gimmick. Uh, there are many reasons why a plan sponsor should pick a TPA. A free plan year quarter or six months of free service isn't really one of them. And, uh, you know, ERISA requires plan fiduciaries to be prudent, so that means decisions need to be prudent and rational. Free services doesn't, in my mind, make the list of good reasons to hire a certain TPA. Free services are a gimmick, as any plan provider that doesn't want to lose their shirt and offering free service has banked that cost in that fee going forward. So when they say that they gave you six months of free service and you decide to hire them, that plan provider, any rational plan provider, has calculated the cost of that six years, six months of free service into their fee going forward. So they're not outlaying anything by giving away that free service. The other gimmick, another gimmick is warranties. Uh, insurance companies are in the business of insuring risks. So what would you say if an insurance policy was free? And that is what a fiduciary warranty or similar warranties in retirement plan business are. Uh, a free insurance policy means that there's very little risk that the insurer will actually pay up on the policy. These warranties aren't as popular as they were 10 years ago. And they were all the rage. I don't want to say they were all the rage, but they were pretty popular 10 years ago. There were a couple insurance providers that were offering it. Uh, and I always tell the story. 
So uh, there's one company in particular. I I kind of like their product, but I didn't like the gimmick of the warranty. And uh, I wrote an article about the fiduciary warranty, um, which caught fire. Um, you know, over the long term, never as popular as the TPA payroll provider article, but it, it, it caught fire. And the local rep for this insurance company provider uh, got the article and emailed me and said, you know, I was going to refer you business and I read this article and I'm never going to refer you business. And I responded to him. I'm like, you never referred me business. Why start now? But um, the nature of that warranty essentially was that the provider would indemnify the plan sponsor for any, any losses from litigation concerning the selection of plan investments for a plan where participants direct their investments on the ERISA 404C. The only problem is that the indemnification only covers a small sliver in the investment selection process, that broad range of investment option requirement under ERISA 404C. And the funny part of that broad range requirement is that it's defined of at least three investment alternatives, and that's it. And to steal a line from Montgomery Scott in Star Trek III, uh, the uh, search for Spock, a chimpanzee and two trainees can satisfy that requirement. And one doesn't have to go to the working school or work in a brokerage firm to uh, be able to select three different kinds of mutual funds. I've been an attorney, you know, for 23 years, and I can never recall um, where a plan sponsor was sued for failing to select enough investment options to satisfy that broad range requirement. When a plan sponsor is usually sued over not having a broad selection of investments, it's usually over a plan where the trustee directs investments and too much of the investments are in company stock. Uh, so, you know, in my opinion, fiduciary warranties aren't worth the paper they're written on. And, you know, like I said, being the turn of the punch bowl, I got a lot of heat over my comments about it. But the fact is, is that uh, that broad range is such a joke of a requirement. Uh, I, you, there's, there isn't a plan out there that has that problem. Uh, I, I, actually, I, I want to say, if there was a plan that had a problem with that, it had some other problem. And usually that would be, there probably is a 401k plan out there where the investments are 100% the employer stock and they're getting away with it somehow because they haven't been caught yet. But, you know, you know, to me, a fiduciary warranty, it's like lightning insurance, you know, or <laughs> talk about lightning insurance. Uh, I work for a TPA, and I, 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 I think I mentioned it somewhere in some writing where uh, I worked for a TPA, and there were two bosses, one who actually was the named partner who did all the selling, and, and, and it was such a fantastic salesperson, and to this day is still a fantastic salesperson. And the other person running the company was a miserable, uh, I I. I I would say I would say a miserable F, <laughs> you know, and he was he was a miserable man. He would say he would he would lose five dollars to save three dollars, or or a dollar. Uh, that's how small-minded he was, and there was a point where he wanted to get into the business of selling prepaid legal insurance, and I thought that that was one of the worst gimmicks out there. Uh, 
if you want to hire an attorney for any matter, get you off on a, a parking ticket or whatnot, um, you should hire an attorney, find the, the best attorney you can for the, the money you need. And I, I, I don't know, it's just prepaid legal just sounds like such a nonsensical thing. Uh, like how often are you going to need an attorney? And again, why, you know, it's not like healthcare insurance where some, you know, so, you know, every provider is kind of tied to insurance, uh, and you have such variety of choices. And I, I joked about it. I said, you know, to me, you know, prepaid legal, you know, I, I, I want to offer, um, I want to offer dry cleaning insurance where, uh, you know, if my dry cleaner, uh, couldn't get out a particular stain, uh, and you bought the, the dry cleaning insurance, you could get some money back. I mean, it was, it was ri ridiculous. Why would you buy insurance for that? Why would you buy insurance for, you know, needing legal services? Why would you pay, um, why would you pay service warranty extended on a, you know, uh, a $60 Walkman? Or something like that. I mean, it's just, it never made any sense to me. And, uh, you know, I, I think planned fiduciaries really need to use common sense. Fiduciary warranties cost money. Uh, fiduciary warranties don't cost money. Fiduciary liability insurance does. And there's a reason for that. Uh, and, you know, that's just my two cents uh, on that matter. Of course, the other gimmick payroll providers is 401k TPAs. Uh, I always use example. Um, Pepsi to me is you know I own I own shares in Coca Cola, uh, but I used to own shares in Pepsi. I think I'm I own shares in Coca Cola just because I like Coke Zero. But Pepsi is probably a probably used to be a better buy uh, in the sense that when they they, they went, would, one thing I always like about Pepsi, they would go into businesses that kind of would increase the distribution of their products. And a perfect example is when they owned Tricon Global Restaurants, which now is Yum! Brands. And that was Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, Kentucky Fried Chicken. At one point was Long John Silver, which I think they that Yum! has divested, as well as A&W. And that's great way to distribute soda products by having, you know, fast food restaurants. And in the retirement plan business, we have something similar. We're in Fidelity, Vanguard, Hero Price, American Funds. Uh, they go into the 401k TPA business because that's a great way of distributing mutual funds. And payroll companies, I mean, the thing about mutual fund companies, they've done a pretty decent job being a 401k TPA. Payroll companies, um, are also in the TPA business. They see that as uh, as an offshoot of uh, you know selling their payroll services. But unlike the mutual fund companies, the payroll providers are not very good at being TPAs. Um, you know, and of course, we just did a podcast about that just recently. It's just not one of their bags, baby. You know, uh, payroll provider TPAs are, are, are 
one thing they're great at is very good marketing because they've convinced many plan sponsors and their financial advisors that there is some sort of important connection between payroll and 401k plans. And payroll is important to 401k plans. I don't want to dissuade anybody saying that it has nothing to do with it. Um, you know, but it does because, you know, let's be honest, the bulk of contributions to 401k plans will always come from salary deferrals. Uh, payroll data has to be correct. Um, especially when it comes to determining uh, plan compensation for, 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 for uh, testing purposes. However, payroll providers overstate the nexus between payroll and 401k administration. Also, they stress the importance of 360 integration between payroll and TPA services. And the only problem is that, you know, they, they, they overstate that requirement, you know, that whole, you know, we have offer 360 integration. They offer that kind of 360 integration with the empowers of the world and other TPAs of the world. Um, I found the payroll providers aren't just, aren't very good uh, being TPAs, uh, you know, for any plan that isn't a safe harbor plan. Uh, payroll provider TPAs expect too much out of clients because they provide little help in many of the important tasks such as urine census information and they make too many catastrophic errors in my opinion uh, that could put plan sponsors at risk. I don't get referrals from payroll provider TPAs uh, over the years thanks to the articles as I, I discussed a few weeks back. Uh, my favorite is the, you know, I like the fact that they lay off of me, but back in the, the first years of the articles, uh, you know, I got a, a cease and desist letter from uh, some attorney, I, I want to say it was from Paychex. Um, I used to get harassing, not harassing messages, I, I used to get like prank phone calls from some TPAs, uh, for, from, from uh, somebody at one of the payroll provider TPAs, but that's kind of died down. Um, you know, it, it, again, it's my opinion, I think it's a gimmick, uh, I think that it's a gimmick that uh, uh, really hurts a lot of plan sponsors because the services aren't there, the quality isn't there. Uh, again, as I expressed a few weeks back, I'm willing to change my opinion, uh, but, you know, proof is in the pudding, which, of course, I still don't know what that means, because um, I've never seen proof in pudding. Not that I actually eat pudding, but that's one of those terms that I don't get. Uh, again, being that turn in the punch bowl, uh, as I'm digressing, again, uh, I don't get a lot of referrals from TPA payroll providers, but I do get a lot of work from their former clients. Uh, that's uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Um, another gimmick is the TPA termination fee. Uh, I've talked about a, 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 a long way about that lately. You know, if I change my doctors, uh, my old doctor doesn't you know charge me a termination fee. They may charge me for copies of some medical reports, uh, but this day with electronic delivery, uh, that's kind of hard. Um, if I got rid of my mechanic Ralph after 25 years, um, he's not going to charge me a termination fee. Yet TPAs charge a termination fee. Um, the problem with the termination fee, number one, most TPAs don't uh, explain it in their uh, contract. Uh, I'm a big fan of transparency, and that fee should be fully disclosed. Uh, I've seen situations where, you know, the old TPA would charge a bloated termination fee because they wanted to punish the plan sponsor that was leaving. Um, 
you know, no business relationship is ever going to last forever. And a TPA is going to lose a client in one fashion, one way or the other. The company, the client goes out of business, the company sold off, the TPA sold off, whatever. There's so many different reasons why a TPA is going to be fired. But, you know, like that guy who called up to Davey Johnson on the WFAN show 30 years ago, Davey, is it true you're hired to be fired? And sometimes I think that that's true of TPAs. You're hired to be fired, meaning eventually one day the TPA is going to get fired. And that's why I think the termination fee should be zero, and it should be something that is banked into the fee, uh, the ongoing fee. That's just my feeling. I don't think that there should be a set termination fee at the end. Um, I, I, I just... I, I understand that, you know, I'm not going to be Don Quixote and, and, you know, fight windmills. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that that's something that hopefully one day will be a thing of the past. Um, but I I think that if the termination fee should still survive, that it should be uh, something that the plan sponsors should be uh, uh, explaining at the get-go uh, and, and, and explaining exactly what the fee is. Um I think a plan sponsor should know what what the fee will be uh, uh, to cost uh, to leave a TPA at the outset instead of waiting for that kind of sticker shock when the termination letter is sent. Uh, again, I, 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 I expressed uh, about a MEP that I work on, and we had a TPA try to uh, stick it to the plan sponsor uh, with termination costs that were just completely excessive, and I turned the matter over to the Department of Labor. Um, and so we'll see what happens with that when I hear from the Department of Labor as to what transpired, which I'm sure I won't know because the Department of Labor will never tell you exactly what happens with their investigations, but we'll see what happens. Hopefully the plan sponsor will get money back for the money that they outlaid uh, to the new TPA for uh, taking over some of the tasks that the former TPA didn't want to use and and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, TPAs and advisors, uh, I, I'm sorry, but last but not least, one of the gimmicks out there, uh, this will be controversial because I, I did serve that role for a long time, and that's on staff attorneys. Um, yeah, that'll get me rancor from people, but, you know, I spent 20-some-odd years in, in the ERISA space. The first nine years, I worked for TPAs. The problem with staff attorneys, and the problem that I had as a staff attorney for a TPA, is that you know, uh, plan sponsors aren't really aware that you know when you used to rely on me for plan documents or whatever I did at, at all these TPAs, uh, there was no attorney-client relationship. Um, I was somebody who worked as an attorney, but I wasn't working in that whole attorney-client relationship. Uh, you know, a TPA attorney can certainly be helpful to a plan sponsor, but there is a limit. The ethical obligations for the ERISA attorney working for a TPA belongs to the people who sign the paycheck. So when I worked for a TPA, I was protecting the TPA at all costs. Well, I wouldn't say at all costs. Uh, within within the realm, within the restrictions of the law, um, I, you know, I... I, I, you know, I, I, I always said that when I worked for TPA, one of my jobs was to put out fires. And a lot of the fires were uh, set by the administrators who just didn't do a bang-up job. 
And a perfect example that I had over, you know, the difference between a staff attorney and somebody who has their own practice or works at a firm and works an entire client relationship is a situation that I had recently. Um, this was a new client. They had an issue regarding missing adoption agreements for related employers. My guidance was that the plan should be submitted to the IRS VCP program. Uh, the TPA's attorney, who wanted to minimize their company's exposure, said the retroactive amendment, which was about eight years, could be accomplished through self-correction. And that is not true. <laughs> but listen, they're going to try to get the plan sponsor to buy that um, and do it the cheapest way possible because of the exposure to the uh, TPA. I, I get that, but you know, that was just a, a little, little crazy. And the uh, plant sponsor, of course, decided to hire me and, and have the TPA pay for that. When I was a TPA attorney, a good chunk of my time was helping our clients. But again, putting out the fires of the, uh, of the administrators that we had, uh, there is always a need for risk attorneys on staff. I, I think that all good, you know, Sizable TPAs should have a staff attorney. Uh, I can't be the ERISA attorney for everyone. I wish I could. Uh, but there's a need for staff attorneys. But I think that, you know, staff attorneys, and including, you know, myself when I did that, should be more transparent uh, that the advice uh, can be biased and that there is no attorney-client relationship between the staff attorney and the attorney uh, and, and the, the plan sponsor. So I... Um, that concludes this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and of course, uh, tune into next week's episode of that 4K podcast. And uh, uh, again, go to that 4 for further information uh, on all our live events, including that 4K networking event and that 4K conferences that are scheduled for September 2021. Thanks. Take care. Bye.